Peter chapter 1. We'll continue our study of 1 Peter this morning. Last week, uh, we looked together at the, the end, if you will, of our salvation, the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. I want to take a couple of minutes today uh, to, read, to look at verses 10 through 12 together. But what I'd like to do before we do is I'd like to read again the passage in its whole, uh, starting in verse 3, all the way to th- verse 12. Then we'll pray and then we'll take a look at a couple of things. Starting in verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired, And in search diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Father, help us, help me, please, this morning to be able to convey your goodness and your greatness, that your children, that we who are born again, would know the hope, that we would know what it is that you have done and are doing and are going to do, that we would understand how this is clearly laid out for us in your word, and that we would rejoice in this, not only together this morning, but every day of our lives, that that our confidence would be in your security. And then, Father, if there be those here this morning who have never yet trusted the Lord Jesus for their salvation who are still examining these things as if they were some kind of religious thing. Lord, would you allow them to see past religion and see the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Father, I ask you to accomplish what we cannot do. And Lord, we ask you that you'd bless this time now, that you would be honored and glorified through it, and that we would receive the good, the blessing, that we would receive from you that which we definitely need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before we begin, I just remember there were a couple of other things. One, I was handed this ring. It was on the piano. So if you're missing a gold ring, you can come see me. I have it on my pinky, okay? So I'll have that there, uh, at least for the morning. Um, And the other thing is Silas and Andrew. Silas and Andrew, this Silas and that Andrew. After the service is over, if you could help Katie Moore to make sure that the last seat in the uh, van that they're taking to uh, Pennsylvania gets removed from the van and brought into the building. They need to have that done so they can make that trip. Okay. 
All right, that's it. That's all the announcements. Now I think I've remembered everything. Amen. In verse 10, in verse 10, there's a reference to the salvation, right? It says, of which salvation? So obviously we're talking about salvation. Of which salvation? So now what is, where does that come earlier in the passage? Well, it's obviously in verse 9, receiving the end, right? Telos, receiving, receiving the goal, receiving that which you're supposed to receive, receiving the end of your faith. Why do we believe God and why do we trust God? And this is why, because he's coming to get us, to take us. And listen, this is so wonderfully important. He's coming to give us the fullness of the salvation that he has already secured for us. And we have a foretaste. Those of you who are born again, the Holy Ghost came and indwelt you, and you have a love that you didn't have before. You have an understanding that you didn't have before. You have a whole desire that you didn't have before. And yet this is just the beginning of the goodness that God has for us. In the time that we live here now, while we live here on this earth, we have a, the power of God within us to show us the goodness and the glory of God, and more importantly probably for those around us, to conform us to the image of Christ that they may see the goodness and glory of God in our lives. But this is just the beginning. This is not the fullness of that. The Apostle Paul says in one place, if this were the end, if, 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 if salvation were just to this point, having to live in this wicked world and having to live not loved by those that we love so much, we would be of all men most miserable. That's what he says. Because you know what a strong desire you have for people in your life who you know need to know the love and goodness of God, and yet you feel such significant rejection so much in your life. Your co-workers, your neighbors, your extended family. I was amazed. When I was first saved, I was confident that all I was going to have to do was tell people about how good Jesus was. I mean, when somebody told me, when I was 22 years old, it was the first time that anybody told me that God loved me so much that Jesus actually died to pay for my sins. That that's what Christianity was. That it wasn't going to church. That it wasn't religion. That I was a sinner. I had no doubt that I was a sinner. But that Christ wanted to be my Savior. That he had died to be my Savior. And if nobody else had ever trusted him, it would have been enough for him that I was going to trust him. And he would have still died on that cross to save me from my sins. When I was told that, I was amazed that God would forgive me. I was amazed. And yet the more I read, the more I read my Bible, the more I realized, well, God is amazing. God is, now listen, the people that had told me about God had painted for me a God that wasn't amazing, if you understand. I had gone to church a fair amount in my life, and what I had heard at church was completely different than what I was finding when I was spending time in my own Bible, which, by the way, you can do, I can do, we can all do, praise God. But when I realized that Jesus was on my side, why? I still don't know why Jesus is on my side. I wouldn't be on my side, but Jesus is on my side. And it pleased the Father to bruise him to take, so he could take away my sin. When I realized that, I was confident. I'll just tell everybody. And, I'll just, and, and I understood. I mean, I understood very clearly. I was really, really involved in reading my Bible from the time that I was saved. Deeply, deeply excited about the things that I was seeing. I was saved in the Mediterranean, right, on an aircraft carrier. So I wasn't going to church. I was simply going to Bible studies on an aircraft carrier with some people who were saved. Small little Bible studies. But I was growing, just so excited about the good. And I was sure that as soon as I told everybody, they were going to be like, what? Really? That's wonderful. 
And, and, and again, not because I was going to be anything, but because it was like suddenly having the cure to cancer. It's like, I have the cure to cancer. Let me tell you, really? I'd like that. I'd like that. I'd like that. If I had the cure to cancer, everybody would like that. But I was amazed. No, no, I know the cure for sin. Jesus is the cure for sin. And I was shocked at how few people even cared. Amazed at how few people cared. Now, I will say this. A number of people were saved. A lot of people were saved. When I was a very young Christian, they would call it soul winning. I'm, again, I'm, not, I'm confident that God wins souls. I'm not confident that men win souls. But I will say this. God won some souls around me. But all I kept, I couldn't shut up. I mean, just all I want to do is, Jesus is awesome. Jesus, let, me, let me show you what the passage says. Let me show you how good Jesus is. And many people did trust that Jesus from the word of God themselves, and they were born again also. And it was wonderful to see this. But I'm still amazed at how few people will receive the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins because they're too proud to admit that they need to be saved. God rescue us all from pride. By the way, there are, there, are, there are children of God in the building today whose growth is stunted for the same exact reason that salvation is missed out, and that is pride. Because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You, you'll never get saved while you're proud, and you'll never grow like you're supposed to if you're proud. God requires, just that we be honest, look, if you were great, then God would admit it to you, but you're not. And you need to understand that you're not. God is not being unkind when he tells you you're not great. He's being honest when he tells you you're not great. When he tells you you're not even good, he's not being mean-spirited when he tells you that you're not good. You're not good. There's, the Lord Jesus, when somebody called Jesus good, he said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Now, they, now, Jesus is God, so it was okay to call him good, but the man who was calling him good wasn't calling him good for that. He was actually flattering him. He was actually seeking to say something to him to win his favor. But you can't win God's favor. You can't win God's favor by flattering him. You cannot, because he's already good, if you understand. What God wants from us is that we would humble ourselves and acknowledge who he is. Now, in this passage, it starts with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Verse 3, which according to his abundant mercy, please underline that, according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Why would God save any of us? And the answer is because he's very merciful, that's why. Brother Ronnie Jacobs and I, uh, yesterday we were doing some work in the parking lot, and at the end we were driving to put some uh, um, fuel in one of the trucks, and I was commenting that a number of people have asked me, how is it that Tidewater enjoys such good uh, fortune, so to speak? How things, are done, how things go so well here at Tidewater? And I said, and my answer is just unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. The goodness that we have here at Tidewater is unmerited favor. The leadership hasn't earned it. The church hasn't earned it. None of us has earned, have earned it. God is just very gracious to us. God is just very kind to us. God is very good to us. And I'm thankful that God is good to us. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. All of us that know ourselves really well are very aware of how little we deserve it. But thank God for unmerited favor. Thank God that he would just be good to us and kind to us. Amen? Well, here's the good news. We can go tell everybody that God wants to be, give unmerited favor to them. God wants to extend mercy to them. Why? I don't know why. 
Because he's merciful, that's why. Because he's loving, that's why. Because, see, we have a tendency to deal with God as if we were God. In other words, the way we deal with each other, we expect that God would deal with us that way. But that's not how God deals with us, because he's not like us. He's so much better than we are. You have no idea how good God is, how great God is. There's a great deal of terrible things going on in the world around us. And what really disappoints me, I think the thing that breaks my heart most, is when people blame God for the things that are going on in the world. The things that are going on in the world are not God's fault. The way we treat each other is not God's fault. The sicknesses that we die of are not God's fault. Do you understand what I'm saying? We brought these things into our lives. We, all of mankind, I'm not talking about you personally brought your personal illness into your life. I'm talking about mankind put ourselves where we are. We did this. And God has always wanted to rescue us from ourselves. Always. Always. The Lord Jesus wept for Jerusalem. Wept. Stood over the top of them and said, how many times... Would I have gathered you all together, but you would not. They wouldn't let him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to as many, to every single one of us that received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Amen? What a tremendous truth. The, the, the tremendous mercy of God. Now, we don't have time to go through all the verses all the way up through. But what we realize is this is, he gave us according to this abundant mercy. He begot us again. He made us born again. He made us new creatures. He gave us a whole new life. And this is a tremendous thing. It is a lively hope. You wake up every day knowing. You know every morning when you wake up, I'm still a new creature. I'm still born again. It doesn't really matter what goes right and what goes wrong today. I am a new creature. Uh, listen, I remember, this is all I remember. This is how I remember it. I can't tell you how many days in a row I would wake up after being saved and I would wake up with this thought. I, I have peace with God. I have peace because I knew I didn't. Before I was saved, I didn't have peace with God. I was guilty and I knew it. My only hope was that God would leave me alone and I would leave him alone. That was my, that was my desire. But after I realized that he loved me and asked him to save me, I would wake up every morning and say, I have peace with God. I have peace with God that was purchased for me by Jesus Christ. I don't have to earn my peace with God. Jesus earned my peace with God. And it continues on and on and on again. So he gives us this living hope, this lively hope in verse 3 to an inheritance. We, we talked about the inheritance weeks ago. We don't have time to talk about this. Who are kept by the power of God. We've talked about the fact that we are kept by the power of God. What a tremendous truth this is. Again, we don't have time to talk about that again this morning. But I will say this. You are, if you are a new creature, you are in God's hand. And nobody can take you out of God's hand. By the way, you can't take yourself out of God's hand either. And if you think you can, you're wrong. Don't, don't mean to be mean. But if you're one of those people who believes that nobody can take your salvation away, but you can lose your own salvation, you cannot lose your own salvation because you did not start your own salvation. Right? He is the author and finisher of our faith. He which hath begun a good work shall perform it. He is the one that started it. He is the one that finished it. Now, if you started it, you're in trouble. If you started it, you need to throw that thing down and get a real salvation. Because a real salvation is not a church salvation. It's not a preacher salvation. It's not a mama salvation. And it's not a you salvation. It's a God salvation. But when Christ saves you, you know you're saved. When you're born, I know. I, I know, I know, I know, I know that I'm saved. And I did nothing to do anything with my salvation. And I hope you know the same thing. And if you don't, you know, Frank Sells used to say this. Drive a stake a mile deep that you know that you're saved. When I was a young Christian, I was confronted with my own sin in my life after I was saved. I was pretty, I was pretty confident I was going to be a great Christian when I got saved. Because the Bible says, he that is forgiven much, 
loves much. Well, I've been forgiven a great deal, and I loved God a great deal, and I was really confident that that love was going to keep me from all sin in my life all the time, and it didn't. And there was failure in my life. And I began to wonder, can I really be a new creature with a thought like that? Can I really speak like that and really be a new creature? And so I began to be not sure. Am I sure that I'm saved? Am I sure that I'm saved? And I heard Frank Sell say, God will never be angry with you when you come to him to talk about whether you're really born again or not. Just go to God and talk to him about whether you're really born again or not. Because he wants you to know if you're born again. And by the way, if you're not, he wants you to know that. And you say, well, yeah, well, what if I'm not? What if I've been pretending for a long time? Then what? Then ask God to save you. Because if you've been pretending, God will rescue you from that also. Why? Because it says in verse 3, who hath begotten us again according to his what? Abundant mercy, not your faithfulness. We are saved by abundant mercy. Say it with me. Saved by abundant mercy. Everybody who's born again was saved by abundant mercy. Not human effort. Everybody. That's why he gets all the glory. That's why he gets all the glory. The reason that Revelation chapter 5 sings, the reason that all of us, and by the way, we'll be there. All of us that are born again in this room will be there. And we will sing, Thou art worthy. Why? Because thou hast redeemed us by thy blood. Right? Not by my effort, not by good preaching, not by coming to the altar, but by the blood of Christ. Are you saved by the blood of Christ? That's the question. That is the question. That's the only question. Are you saved by the blood of Christ? Do you, listen, listen. The Father's, this is what the Father says about it. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen. The Father is pleased with the blood of the Son. That's what matters. The Father is pleased. You being pleased with it is just agreeing with what God says. This blood will save everybody. That's what the Father says. This is the last blood I'll ever need. Amen? This is the only blood he ever cared about. The Father cared nothing about the blood of bulls and of goats. Nothing. That was a picture of the fact that the Son was going to take away our sin with his blood. All of it, every single bit of it. And all the people in the Old Testament that are born again were born again by faith in the Christ who was going to shed his blood for them. And all of us that are saved in the New Testament are saved by the Christ who has already shed his blood for us. Amen? Amen. Now, this gets us to verse 10. We're close enough to verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now this is making reference to the Old Testament prophets. This is making, this is making reference to the fact that God worked through holy men using the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you want to see this, go to 2 Peter. Just keep your finger right here. It's not very far. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 20 and 21. This is really important for all of us to know this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, this is not the work of men. Men did not do this. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake 
as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is how the Bible was written. The Bible was written by men who wrote down what God wanted them to write down. Now, if you'll turn back to 1 Peter, what you'll find is this. In the Old Testament, the prophets wrote down a number of things, a large number of things that they believed, but they didn't understand. That's what, let's read it again. Of which salvation, talking about what has happened in our lives since Christ has come and shed his blood and then the Holy Spirit was given to change us from the inside out. This salvation that we have, they wrote about but didn't understand it because they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Notice this. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. This grace does not mean that they didn't have grace in their life. It doesn't mean that they didn't have the same gracious salvation. In other words, they still believe in the Christ who was going to come, but they did not understand everything that was going to happen when Christ came. Look up here if you would. I would say that the, the, the greatest thing lacking in American Christianity is the understanding of the power of the Holy Ghost to change somebody on the inside. Now this is what's happened. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within every single believer to show us what the Scripture says and to conform us to the image of Christ. This is what happens. To give us the power, if you want to look it up, you can go look at Romans chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, so that sin no longer has dominion over us anymore. Before the Holy Spirit came within me, I was not strong enough to resist sin. Sin said, hey, I'd like to do this, and I said, so would I. Right? We didn't all all have the same lusts, but we all had our own lusts. And so what I wanted to do, what my flesh wanted to do, I did that. But... As soon as you were saved, you remember this, as soon as you were saved, suddenly the things that you used to like, you didn't like them anymore. There became, there became a wrestling match immediately within you. We saw it in, first, uh, in, in, uh, excuse me, in the book of James. Immediately, suddenly there was this, this warfare going on inside you where your flesh still wanted to do selfish things and you weren't okay with it anymore. No, I don't want to do that anymore. And yet, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot stop it, right? This is what Romans chapter 7, for to will is present with me. To do the right thing is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Unless the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do it, you and I are incapable of doing it. Now, they saw that God was going to change us. They prophesied that God was going to change us. The way it's written about most of the time in the Old Testament is that God is going to give us a new heart. God's going to give us a new heart. The Holy Ghost is a new heart. The Holy Ghost changed. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Most of you are looking up at me like, I hear what you're saying, preacher, but that sounds too good to be true. That's because you grew up in American Christianity. And here's what American Christianity calls the Holy Ghost. That's what we call the Holy Ghost here in the United States of America. That is not the Holy Ghost. That is, that is not the Holy Ghost at all. Listen. In the Bible, in the New Testament, people did speak with tongues. What that means with this, if I, I can't do it because I don't have, one, the gift of tongues. Two, I don't speak any other languages. If I did, I could start speaking in Spanish or German or Italian or whatever. But the gift of tongues meant that somebody who didn't speak any of those languages could still speak those languages for the sake of preaching to people who didn't understand the language that they understood. That's what the gift of tongues was. But that's not what happens in America today. They call it a heavenly gibberish. I'm speaking a heavenly language. No, you're not. Nobody speaks that. That's except for people in mental institutions. 
And look, I'm not being mean-spirited. I know some of you think I'm being really mean-spirited to the charismatic movement. This is a dangerous, dangerous thing because it takes away what the power of God actually is. The power of God, listen, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it looks like. Where you see real love, where you see real selflessness, where you see real joy, where you see real peace, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the real problem. We don't see enough of that in the lives of Christians. And the reason that we don't is because most Christians are unaware of the power of the Holy Spirit to change us on the inside. But the Bible's not unaware of it. The Bible's very clear about it. And these prophets wrote about it, and they desired to understand it on a deeper level. Now, let's keep reading. It says in verse 11, searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ which was in them. When they were writing this, they were dwelt by the Spirit of God. When they were writing the Scripture, it was the Holy Ghost within them. We just saw that. They were telling them what to write. And so they knew these things were true, but they did not understand what it meant. It says, um, the Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit of Christ which within them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now, I would say that there's one chapter that might sum this up probably better than any other. So if you turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Now, this is, now, by the way, there's an awful lot of, uh, of, of, of prophet in your, old, in your Bible. But this one chapter is probably going to be the easiest way to see this. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53 together. It's only 12 verses long, so we'll just read it. Isaiah 53. Remember, we're talking about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up, speaking about our Lord Jesus, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground, He hath no form nor comeliness when we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Now look up here for just a moment. What this is saying is the Lord Jesus was going to grow up from the time he was a very little boy, right? From the time he was an infant, he was going to grow up as a root out of dry ground. And when we saw him, there was nothing natural about him that would be attractive. In other words, Jesus, the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, when you saw him, you didn't look at him and say, ooh, that's, that's really nice right there. That guy is really attractive. He's really sharp. He's really this or he's really that because that's not who he was. This is not the kind of attraction that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us. The Lord, the, I, know I was going to give you some actor or some sports figure that you'd say, oh yeah, I can see Jesus. He, he should look like that. He doesn't. He just looks like a man because you know why? Because he is a man. That's why. Because he did not come to be a movie star or a superior athlete. He came to save us. He could have taken any form that he wanted, by the way. He could have been drop-dead gorgeous, if you understand what I'm saying. He could have been, he could have been, he could have, you know, had the, the, the physical, he could have been six foot six and, 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 and solid muscle. That's what he could have been. But that's not what the Savior looks like. Because he didn't say, come to save us from other men. He came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from sin. That's what he came to do. Let's keep reading. Verse 3 says, he was de- he's despised. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. For by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen? Isn't that awesome? God the Father was pleased to bruise the Son because he, listen, because he knew that he could take it. You and I could not take the judgment of God. Now, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I want you to understand this. I want you to see this. I, I, this simple, if you have not heard this, if you've heard it before, I think it'll be encouraging to you. It is to me each time I consider it. But if you've not, you need to hear this. In Noah's day, the judgment of God was going to come upon the earth because of the wickedness of the earth. And so God said, I'm going to have to judge the earth for a hundred years. For a hundred years. They lived a lot longer then. We, you know what? If you want to talk about the science behind that, come talk with me sometime. And I'll talk to you about the science behind the way that they live differently for a lot longer than we live now in the age in which we live. We can talk about that if you'd like to. But anyway, but they lived for a lot longer. For 100 years while Noah was building the ark, he preached the gospel. And this was the gospel. Look. God is going to destroy the world because of wickedness. But we're making a place of safety. God told me, make a place of safety. And this is what he says. Get in the place of safety. Who can get, who can, listen, who could get in the ark? Who could get in the ark? And this is the answer. Everybody. Who did God want to get in the ark? And the answer is this. Everybody. God wanted everybody to get in the ark. Who got in the ark? Almost nobody. Who could have gotten the ark? Everybody. There was room in the ark for everybody, but not very many people got in. Now listen, this is what happened. When the judgment of God fell upon the world, it fell upon the people outside the ark, and it fell upon the people inside the ark. The only difference was the people inside the ark had the ark to protect them from the judgment of God, right? So listen, 
the ark was able to withstand the judgment of God. The wrath of God fell on the ark just like everywhere else, but the ark was able to withstand the judgment of God. When you read here in chapter 53 of Isaiah, the wrath of God falls upon the Lord Jesus Christ, just like it will everybody who rejects him, but he is able to bear it. And guess what? We are where? In Christ. Praise God. Amen? Why am I rescued? Because I'm in Christ. That's why. The judgment of God still falls on me. And if you're born again, it still falls on you. But praise God, you're in Christ when that happens. And because you're in Christ, He can withstand the judgment of God. He went to hell for us. He died for us. That's what the Lord Jesus did. But He could conquer the grave. He could conquer death. He could conquer hell. And He came back and said, I won. I won. The wrath of my Father fell upon me, but it fell upon me for a purpose. It fell upon me because we agreed before any of you even existed that I would save you. You realize that the Lord Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was even a planet, there was a Savior. Amen? God the Father knew we would fall, and he made a provision for our fall, a salvation that is perfectly secure. By the way, let me say this. If you're born again, you are safer than you would be if you were just innocent. If you were just innocent, you could fall at any time. But because we've already been We've already fallen, and we have been redeemed. We are now redeemed by the blood of Christ. Therefore, all of our sins have been forgiven, and we can never be judged again. Never, ever, ever. I am perfectly secure because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And if you're saved, you are perfectly secure because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Turn back, if you would. First Peter will be done. First Peter chapter 1 again. Speaking in verse 12, it says, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves. In other words, the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, for example. Isaiah, when he wrote this, Isaiah knew when he wrote this that he was not going to see the Lord Jesus Christ probably in his lifetime. So what he knew is this. I am, this is so important to us. Listen, I am writing this down for people who are going to benefit more from this than I am. This is what, now read it, now let's listen. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them who have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Turn back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I want you to see this actually happening. Acts chapter 2. I wish we had time. Really, the thing about studying your Bible is you'll just begin to realize how clearly this is all laid out. Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 7. Let's start in verse 7. Let's go back to verse 6. This is one of those things we just keep going backwards. Okay, <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, verse 6. Now, when this was noised abroad... The multitude came together and were confounded. So what's happening is the Holy Ghost has fallen upon the apostles, right? This is the beginning. The Lord Jesus promised this was going to happen. The Holy Ghost, this is, you have no idea how important this is. The Holy Spirit has come. The Lord Jesus said, is it exp it's expedient for you that I go away. I've got, to, I've got to die. I've got to shed my blood. I've got to go into the Holy of Holies with my blood. After I go into the Holy of Holies with my blood, I will send forth the Holy Spirit and everything will change. That's exactly what's happening. It really is that simple. I came to pay for your sins. Now that I've paid for your sins, I'm going to send you a new heart. Praise God. 
Okay, so that's what's happened. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude, the multitude, these are a bunch of people who had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover, so they were there. The multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own what? Language, which is what I just said a little bit ago. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? In other words, these people all speak one language, and it's not ours. And by the way, I don't mean to be unkind, but these Galileans are not very smart people. Okay, you, pick a, you can pick whatever state in the United States you want to pick fun at right now. I've stopped doing that, by the way. I've had too many people come up after the service and say, I'm from that state. I'm sorry. And if I say I'm from Vermont, which I am from, and pick on that state, then my whole family gets upset with me. So we won't do that anymore either, okay? So every state that you're from is perfect, except the one you're imagining in your mind that they're really not very bright, okay? But you just keep that to yourself. So these Galileans aren't very smart people. And how hear we every man in our own language wherein we were born? In other words, we know these guys don't know all of these languages, and yet we can hear in all these languages. And then it goes through the list of all the different languages, all the way down through verse 10, all the way into verse 11. Cretes and, Ar and, and, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what does this mean? What meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. That makes no sense at all. They're drunk, so they can speak all these extra languages. I was going to make something about college, but I won't go into it, okay? What meaneth this? And these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In other words, this is what the prophets told us was going to happen. And it shall come in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And this is exactly what's happened. And this is what this passage is. Now let's turn back. Let's turn back. I said we were going to do it one time. We are going to do this one last time. I promise this is the end. Last turning back. Go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is what's happening. Now listen. Why does this really matter to you and I today? Why does this really matter? In the context. In the context. It says in verse 6. Wherein we greatly rejoice. Isaiah greatly rejoiced. Though he wrote for somebody that was going to benefit more than he was going to benefit from this. And this is what God wants us to understand. Wherein we greatly rejoice. What do we greatly rejoice in? In our salvation. In such a great salvation. In a Holy Spirit filled salvation. In a salvation that's kept to us. In an inheritance that we have coming. We are rejoicing. But though now for a season. I see all sickness and death. Completely different than I did when I was a young Christian. Completely different. We are all leaving somehow. Do you understand? We're all leaving somehow. It might be this or it might be that. Again, I personally would sign up for the going to sleep at night and not waking up in the morning, right? That's, that's the line I would get in if I could pick my own line. Why? Because I'm a coward. That's why. So I, that's the one I want to go through. But I don't know what means God is going to use to take me out of this world. Now, the only way that we're going to skip that is if he comes to get us. And he might come to get us at any moment, and that would be wonderful. And, that, and we would be glad that he would come to get us at any moment. That would be wonderful. But if he doesn't, then we're all going to leave somehow. But notice what it says. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. What? In our great salvation, in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ, we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So listen, look, please look up here. Now listen, I mean this. Does it, does it really matter how we leave so long as when we leave, we're ready to meet Jesus? Do you understand? Isaiah said this, I write these things down. There's a fullness of salvation that we in the Old Testament don't understand, but it's okay. Because God has a fullness of salvation that's coming at a time beyond this. And you know what? We know the exact same thing. Now, we have a far greater salvation than they had because they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ just like we do, but they did not get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which we do get, praise God. And so I'm telling you, I've had a shouting good time, just me and my Bible in my office. And I know you have in your own personal devotions, in your own private time with God, what wondrous things we get to do because the Holy Spirit indwells us. Amen? But in a little while, we're not going to have that little bit anymore. We're going to have the full of, fullness of it. Amen? So you tell me, why can't we wait patiently for that after we have this, what we have now? When, when, when all of the Old Testament prophets didn't have a small portion of what we have. And they gave us the word of God saying, you guys are going to get something wonderful. And we, by the way, have something wonderful. We know that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit within us who has changed our hearts and minds and caused us to see such tremendous things. Now notice, and we'll just finish with this. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, the Old Testament prophets, but unto us, those that live in the New Testament, did they minister to the things which are now reported of you by them which have preached the gospel, which we just saw in Acts chapter 2, unto you with the Holy Ghost, which we just saw in Acts chapter 2, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels are amazed at what we have. Amazed. I'm amazed at what we have too. I really, really am. But I can only imagine that a holy angel would look at us and say to the God, and I'm not being this in a mean spirit, but I can only imagine the angels look at us and say, why did you give that to them? Why did you give that to them? Because they know us. And I'll tell you what, what's the answer? And the answer is unmerited favor, right? The answer goes right back to verse 3, doesn't it? According to his, what? Abundant mercy. Why do you have the fullness of the Holy Ghost? Abundant mercy. Why do you have a God who will never leave you nor forsake you? Abundant mercy. If you're lost here today, why does God not take you? Why does he continue to preach the gospel to you and give you an opportunity to respond? Abundant mercy. Because God is not willing that any should perish. God is, how many? How many does God want? How many people will be in hell because God wanted it that way? And the answer is none. How many? None. Let me say it again. How many people will be in hell because that's what God wanted for them? And the answer is none. Zero. God is not willing that any should perish. So all that perish will only perish because they rejected the free, gracious gift in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest with you. You've got to be a fool to reject the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I was one. Until I realized just how great God was. Just how good God was. And God rescued me, and he will rescue you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, this time together this morning in your word. Thank you for the, the, this, this truth that you revealed to us. Lord, that you have for so many years promised the fullness that we have now. Lord, I pray that you'd help. Lord, I pray, I, I realize going back to the, the, the babbling noise that I made, Lord, that it could hurt or offend someone 
that was charismatic, who is lost in this confusion, Lord. But I pray that you'd rescue them from that, that they would understand, Lord, that you have far better things for them than the quote-unquote babbling things that are going on, that they would understand what the fullness of the Holy Spirit really is. Lord, and we who are your children, we who are born again, may we, may we stop walking after the flesh and walk after the Spirit always, that the people around us might see the joy, peace, goodness, love, meekness, temperance that you would have them to see through our lives, that they might say, I want that same thing, please, and that they might come right to you to get it. Father, thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.